0: Hello, this is Peggy Joyce Ruth. Welcome to our podcast and hope you enjoy this teaching. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org. We started a two-part series on manipulation and my main objective, like I said last week, is just to point out areas when and where manipulation occurs. Because we're not dealing with any psychological reasons why, because there can be many different reasons for that. But I just want us to recognize when it happens, because I personally believe that any time a Christian really sees an area where he's missing the mark, I personally believe that he will start the process of change. I personally believe that a Christian really deep down wants to change and wants to become more like Jesus. Now, the biggest step toward quitting manipulation is simply recognizing when it occurs, and the same is true with being manipulated. The more we become aware of those times when we're allowing ourselves to be manipulated, the more we're going to learn how to say no. And Of course, the simple answer to getting set free is simply becoming secure enough in who we are in Jesus Christ that we can say no that we can be our own person and we don't have to allow ourselves to be controlled in a way that's not pleasing to us. Okay, now as just a means of review, we said the definition of manipulation is time that someone for selfish purposes uses an unfair means of control to coerce another person to do something that that person doesn't really wanna do. That is manipulation. And at whatever point a person is manipulating, in that area, they do not see God as their source. So that really helps when we realize, you know, Lord, if I'm having to manipulate, that means that I'm not trusting you. Because we're going to find out the manipulation and trust just do not go together. They're on opposite ends of the pole. And manipulation comes right out of the kingdom of darkness. And the goal of manipulation is to destroy Okay, now last week we started looking at different areas where manipulation often occurs. We covered three of the eight areas. And number one, we said that when someone plays on another person's emotions, they try to make someone feel guilty or maybe they work on somebody's sympathy or fear in an attempt to get that person to do something that they don't want to do. Number two area is when someone is manipulated by being made to feel insecure in their rightful place. Anytime we're insecure in what we're doing or where we are, then we're going to easily be manipulated. I've seen mothers and fathers made to feel insecure in their role as a parent, and it causes them not to go ahead and take charge and and do the things that rightfully is their responsibility to do. Now, if we're unsure about ourselves, then we're going to defer to the person who does appear to be sure. It doesn't take long for a manipulative person to pick up on that kind of insecurity in another person. And when it's picked up upon, will they definitely play on that insecurity? Okay, number three area is nonverbal manipulation. And that's any time that we punish someone emotionally, either by the tone of our voice, or it can be an expression on our face, or maybe we pout to get what we want, or we hold back affection, or just give the silent treatment any time we do any of those nonverbal things to get our way. Okay, now this week we're gonna look at the last five areas of manipulation. I'm sure there's more than eight, but these were eight main ones. So number four area of manipulation is that of false flattery. Pretending to be doing something nice for someone or pretending to be helpful with the ulterior motive of just simply getting out of it what we want just using that opportunity to get our way. Now, I want you to look at Matthew 2. This is a story that we've read so many, many times. You know, it's just a good example of when this has been done. Matthew 2, 1 through 3. As we look back into the Word of God, we find out that none of these things are new. They've been happening clear back in Bible times. But in chapter 2, starting with verse 1, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. They were so excited. They've been following the star, and and they've come now to this place. They've come to Jerusalem, and they're looking for the king. Now, when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, the reason Jerusalem was troubled with him is because when Herod's upset, everybody's going to be upset. Heads roll. And so all of Jerusalem was worried because Herod was worried. And then we find down in verse 7 that Herod very secretly called the Magi together, and he ascertained from them the time that the star appeared. He starts asking all these questions, and then he sends them on to Bethlehem, and he says, go and make careful search for the child. And when you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. Now notice in verses 5 and 6, he's had some of the people in his court looking into the scriptures to find out that the king is to be born in Bethlehem. So he takes this information and he gives this information to the Magi. And he appears to be doing everything he can do to help them. And I could just hear him telling them, oh, this is what we know in scriptures. We just bless you. You go out and you find this child. And then the minute you find him, you come, let me know, because I want to come and worship too. He was being so helpful and cordial in order to satisfy his selfish ambition, in order to get rid of this king that he is concerned will come and take his place. The world calls this kind of manipulation, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine, and always with unfair motives. Now a fair trade is not manipulative. There's nothing wrong with getting a good bargain, but it needs to be honest and it needs to be above board. But if we take advantage of another person's misfortune, pretending that we're trying to be nice and using something for our advantage at another person's expense, then that's manipulative. I had a lady tell me that several years ago, she went to this sale. She had read about it in the paper and she just couldn't believe the sale because they had listed guns and furniture and tools and all these really nice things for sale. And so when she got there, She said that there were just people all over the place, and she found out that the reason for the sale was that the man had had a stroke. He was paralyzed in a wheelchair, and he couldn't speak. And she said that the people were just pouring in right and left, and they were all taking advantage of this woman because she had no idea what anything was worth. And she was just giving away her belongings. And the lady said, what hurt so badly is she looked over and she saw in the man's eyes just horror. He was just horrified at what was going on. Now, she said that the sad part was not so much that they were having to sell their goods for less than what they were worth because you know there's times that things come up, and we do sell things for... Maybe less than what they're worth when we're needing some money. But she said that wasn't what bothered her. She said the sad part is that all these people were coming in and they were just buying things right and left. But they were doing it under the pretense that they were helping this lady out, that they were doing her a favor. Nothing was priced. She said that the lady didn't know what it was worth and people were coming in and they were making her think that they were paying her full value, that they wanted to help her while they were just robbing her blind. She was asking them, she'd say, well, what would this item be worth to you? And The lady said that it it just sickened her. She said she turned around and left and just didn't even want to buy anything because she was so sickened with what was going on. Now, an honest offer is one thing, but deceptive false pretense is another. You know, when I was growing up, there were a lot of boys in the neighborhood, and most all the boys were the same age, and they, you know, they were always riding their bicycles and having fun. But there was one little boy that was quite a bit younger, and I watched time after time when that little boy would come in and he'd have a new toy or he'd have some money in his pocket, and these older boys would gang up on him, and they would trade him some worthless something for his new toy or for his money, and they would always make him think that they had done him a favor they'd have something, they'd build it up and make him think that it was the most wonderful thing in the world. And every single time they went away with whatever it was that he had, but we need to watch our motives. See, if the main reason that we're nice to someone is what we can get out of it, what we can get out of the situation, if our love is not genuine, then it is manipulation. And that's something we just need to watch for. Now, anytime we manipulate, then our relationship with the Father is not what it needs to be. There's something wrong in, in our relationship. Our attention, our approval, everything needs to be coming from God first. And when we receive the, all the attention we need, the approval we need, the strokes, when we're receiving that from God first, it makes us a healthy person then that's what gives us the identity that makes us whole, makes us healthy, where we don't have to manipulate. So that's always the answer. The answer goes back every time to trusting God, allowing God to develop within us the relationship that we need to develop within us the identity that we need. Now there are some people who just play church so that they can be accepted in the group and and have what they want, get what they're after. You know, several years ago, there was a girl that just buddied up to all the different personalities in the church and made herself a part of the network, got involved in everything that was going on, and she said all the right things. And every single time it made it appear that she was really wanting to go on with God. And she was just there, and she acted as though she were so eager to be taught. Well, we found out later that at the same time that this was going on, that she was putting extreme sexual pressure on one of the guys in the church. And no one would have ever dreamed that she was doing something like that because she was always saying the right thing. She seemed so real and she was so open in her faith talk. But she was manipulating by playing church to be accepted so she could get into the area. And she admitted that she was after to get with this guy. And all this time it appeared that she was after a closer walk with God. But it was all a manipulation. Okay, number five area of manipulation. If we operate in the spiritual law of sowing and reaping and our only reason now for the sowing is just what we can get out of it, that too is manipulative, that's spiritual manipulation. Our reason for giving has to first of all just be simply because we're so in love with the Lord. Our objective for giving has to be agape love. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 13.3. You're familiar with this scripture. This is probably one that you've memorized. But in 1 Corinthians 13, this is the love chapter. And in verse 3, it says, If I give all of my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Okay, it's saying here that we can literally give our body to be burned. And if there's no love in it, then it doesn't profit us anything. You know, but once we are giving out of the right motive, then it's only exercising faith to believe God to do exactly what he promises that he'll do. Once we're giving and our motive is correct, then we need to expect to harvest. We need to expect that the windows of heaven are going to be open and he's going to pour down blessings. And if we're not expecting it, then that's sin. That's wrong. But it's just a fine line. We just have to be sure that we don't get the cart before the horse. We have to be sure that our motive is obedience to God, wanting to be pleasing to God, wanting to just love Him and and give to Him because of what He's given to us. And then, once that has been accomplished, then He does pour the blessings on us. We need to expect those blessings because as He gives to us, then we're able to give again. And His grace causes there to be a sufficiency in all things and then an abundance left over, you know, for every good deed to give again. But we have to have it in right proportion. If we get out of kilter and we're giving just for what we can receive, then it's not going to work. We're out of line and it's manipulative. Okay, number six category of manipulation is that of manipulating circumstances. Now a lot of people manipulate circumstances to help God out then that can seem so right at times because the world is always thinking that the end justifies the means. But God doesn't need that kind of help. He doesn't need our help. All God is requiring out of us is just simple obedience. When we look in the word of God and God tells us what to do, that's all he's wanting is for us to be obedient and then trust that he'll take over. Have you ever prayed for something and it looked as though it weren't working? And so you decided, okay, I'd better stop this, And I better go another route. Now, that's fine to go another route when God's leading you another direction. But if God's told you to go into a certain direction and it's not working or it appears not to be working and you start reasoning, you think, "Okay, this is not working. Let's go another way. I'm going to make this happen. Then see what we're doing. We're trying to manipulate the circumstances. We're not in trust. And that's exactly what Sarah and Abraham did. They knew that God had promised them a child. And they knew that it was going to be Abraham's child. Well, they finally gave up on God and they manipulated the circumstances to try to make it happen, try to bring this prophecy to pass. And of course, that's when Sarah offered her handmaiden, Hagar, and he had an Ishmael. Now, prophecy is not a roadmap. And when we're being led by the Lord, we can't look and make up our mind that we think it's not working and decide, okay, Lord, I better go another direction. God's just wanting simple obedience. The Bible says, trust in the Lord and lean not to your own understanding. And the biggest temptation that most of us have is to start thinking and start reasoning and get those wheels going. And we start leaning then to our own understanding rather than trusting God. Don't lean into your own reasoning. Don't try to figure out what you can do to make it work, because that's when we get over into manipulation. Now, some people try to manipulate circumstances to make God look good. We knew this one lady, and every time her child would pray, she would really try to keep her child from praying anything specific. Because she said, I just don't want his faith to be hurt. I don't want him to pray and it not work out and then it might harm his faith. And so every time he would pray specifically, she would stop him, you know, and she'd say, no, no, you don't, don't pray that way. Well, if he did ever pray specifically, then she would do everything in her power to try to make it happen. She would manipulate to make it happen because she was in fear. But see, there wasn't any trust. God's wanting us to hear him. He's wanting us to obey. He's wanting us to trust. And then he's wanting us to sit back and watch him bring it to pass. He's watching over his word. He'll perform it. Now, I couldn't be too hard on this lady because the biggest temptation in the world for me was to try to discourage Bill years ago when he was praying for a horse. And he was in the sixth grade and I knew he wasn't going to get a horse. I knew God wasn't going to answer that prayer. And I didn't want his faith hurt. And so I was, you know, trying to manipulate him and guide him in different directions. And Jack told me to leave him alone. He said, don't try to manipulate the circumstances that's between him and God. And you know what? God gave him a horse. (laughs) He got his horse. And I just thought, Oh Lord, I learned a big lesson because God's big enough To work out these seemingly impossible situations. He's big enough. And sometimes the things that we think are utterly impossible are the things that just suddenly God comes through and we look and see what he's done. But he doesn't want us to manipulate to try to help him out or make it work. He's just wanting us to trust him. He's wanting us to love him. He's wanting us just to crawl up in his arms and just fellowship with him, believe the word of God, and then leave it in his hands. Okay, number seven, I said last week that manipulation doesn't stay the same, and it doesn't, it grows. If it's left alone, it will grow, and the next step in manipulation, if we allow manipulation to be there as a lifestyle, then the next step is manipulation by deception. And of course, that's on down the road, but that's one that we have to really be careful because that's when it can become serious. Now, the world manipulates through lies and deception all the time to accomplish what they want. And, you know, we see that in the world all the time. But I looked through the Word of God and I was shocked at how many times I saw this manipulation going on in godly people in the Word of God. And it started clear back in the time when Satan came to Adam and Eve in the garden and Satan manipulated Eve with a lie. And he got her to the place where he controlled her and manipulated her to the point that she got into sin. Because when he was asking her about the trees in the garden, she said, oh, we can eat from all the trees in the garden except one. And she said, God said not to eat from that one or we'd die. Now she was perfectly okay with that arrangement. But the enemy comes in and begins to manipulate her by some deception. And he comes in and he manipulates her into thinking, I'm really not going to die if I eat from that tree. Satan said, you're not going to die. And then he begins to manipulate her by making her think that God was holding out on her. That God was trying to keep her from this knowledge that she could glean from that tree. Now people are still manipulating others by the same deception that Satan used. It started back in the garden and it's been going ever since. Sometimes the manipulation is coming from the enemy just in our mind thoughts. Sometimes it's coming through the mouth of another person, but many different manipulative things in your mind that have swayed you at times, but life is passing you by. You'd better live. You'd better live it up because you're not getting any younger and some people have heard that and it begins to manipulate their thinking and and starts moving them around. Or one little drink's not going to hurt. What is one drink going to hurt? Or you have a right to be hurt. You have a right to be angry. Goodness, I I don't blame you. If that had happened to me, I'd be angry too. See these little manipulative phrases that come through and if we're not careful, they can manipulate us and change our way of thinking. See, it's the same deception that's still being used to manipulate today that was used back in the garden, contradicting God's word, saying what God didn't say. And that's how you can recognize it. Because anytime it's something that's manipulating you in the wrong direction, it's when something is being said to you, either in your mind, thoughts, or through the mouth of another person. It's when something's being said to you that contradicts God's word, saying something that God's not saying. Okay, another deception is when a a person uses some power to get something when they have no right to it. That's manipulation by deception. Now game-playing manipulation is going on all the time, like I said, in the world in an effort to get favors and get attention from somebody else's spouse. and We see that, that's just commonplace in the world. Some women play very weak and very helpless with another woman's husband in order to get attention or to get whatever it is that they're wanting. And now tears are a gift from God, but don't underestimate that they can certainly be used in a very deceptive, manipulative way. We have to be careful. And this is children do it, but adults do it too. Some people consistently are giving out a hard luck story as a means of manipulation, you know, a woe is me game. Now all of us are gonna have a hard luck story at times. (laughs) We're all going to tell this and, and to get attention. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when someone uses that and it becomes a lifestyle where they're constantly crying on demand or crying on cue and there's always a hard luck story to manipulate circumstances. Now all of this may be deception to the party who's being deceived and being manipulated. But I'm going to tell you what, there's no deception on the part of the one who's doing the manipulating because they know exactly what they're doing. It becomes a way of life for them. Now, when someone plays games to get a favor or to get attention from somebody else's mate, what they're doing is they're playing a deadly game. And this used to be only in the world, but in recent years, it's come more and more even into the church world. And it's a deadly thing. Okay, now I'm going to give you two examples of manipulation by deception from the Word of God. I want you to look at 2 Samuel 13. These are the children of David, and we find that it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Okay, Amnon was a half-brother to Absalom and his sister Tamar. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. He was the son of Shimea, David's brother. So Jonadab now was the nephew to David. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, lie on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. Okay, look down in verse 10. Then Amnon said. He manipulates the father and Amnon then said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes, which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. Then she brought them to him to eat and he took hold of her and said, come lie with me, my sister. And she answered him, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? And as for you... You will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her since he was stronger than her. He violated her and lay with her. And Amnon hated her with a great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up and go away. Okay, now Amnon had manipulated his father David. And then he had manipulated Tamar and he manipulated by deception. And of course, manipulation breeds manipulation. And so we find in verse 22 that Absalom does not speak to Amnon either good or bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And so time goes by. And we find that later, Absalom gives this big feast and he does it as a means. He's been waiting for his opportunity to manipulate Amnon into coming into his presence. And so he gives this big feast and we find in verse 28 that Absalom commanded his servants, saying, see now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine and when I say to you, strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not be afraid. Have not I myself commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. Okay, manipulation by deception. And look where it took them. Now, Queen Jezebel is another prime example of manipulation by deception. I want you to look at 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 21. Okay, we see in verse 1, Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spoke to Naboth saying, give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house and I will give you a better vineyard than it in its place. If you like, I'll give you the price of it and money. Now, if Naboth had consented, this would have been a fair trade. It would have been above board and it would have been honest. Ahab made a, a proposition and it would have been fine if Naboth had wanted it. But Jews didn't like to sell their land because that was their inheritance and they believed that it was wrong to get rid of their inheritance. They never got rid of their land unless it was an absolute necessity. And it was Naboth's right to say no. And so in verse three, Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father. He said, God wouldn't be pleased. He's forbidden me to do that. This is my inheritance. So Ahab came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, I will not give you the inheritance of my father. And so he lay on his bed, turned away his face, and he ate no food. Okay, he's having this little pity party here in his house. And maybe he knows his wife well enough to know that he can manipulate her into doing what he wants her to do. Because Jezebel comes in in verse five, his wife came to him and he said, how is it that your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? So he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and I said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I'm going to give you a vineyard in its place. So he said, I just made him this wonderful offer. And he said, I will not give you my vineyard. He said, can you imagine? I'm the king. And he said, he wouldn't give it to me. And so Jezebel, his wife, said to him, do you now reign over Israel? Aren't you the one that reigns over the kingdom? Arise, eat bread. Let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in the city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and seek Naboth at the head of the people and seek two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, you cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. Okay. Now talk about manipulation by deception. You know how sad. And then verse 11. So the men of the city, The elders and the nobles who lived in his city did as Jezebel had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast, and they seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him, and the worthless men testified against him, even against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, and they stoned him to death with stones. And you know, I could see someone, Jezebel, had sold her soul to the enemy. She worshiped all these idols, and I could see her manipulating by deception. My shock was that there were men in the cities that would go along with it. And I thought, you know, Lord, don't let us come to the place where our government is such that we would give in to these kinds of areas. I think this is something that we need to look at because there needs to be something that rises up on the inside of us that that we are determined that our cities and our nation will be godly. You know, Even if there are things that are going sideways that will determine that we're going to pray it through and we are going to have a godly nation. But in verse 14, then they sent word to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and he's dead. And it came about when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but he's dead. And it came about now that when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, well, boy, he gets up and he goes down to the vineyard and he takes possession of it. He's happy again. He's over his pity party because he's gotten exactly what he wanted. Okay, manipulation by deception, and it always brings destruction. Now, I know that these are extreme examples that I've given you out of the Word of God, but what I'm wanting us to see is that manipulation grows. You know, there's mild forms of manipulation, but if we allow th- those mild areas, those subtle areas, to become a lifestyle with us, we're going to find out that they can quickly lead to more deceptive means, to more extreme means because never will manipulation lie dormant. It's always gonna grow. Anytime that we misrepresent the truth for selfish purposes, we're gonna find that that's always for a manipulative purpose. I thought about that as I was getting this, I felt like the Lord said that, and I thought about that, and I, surely it's not that every time. But when you think about it, we may be able to justify it to ourselves, but any time that we have to misrepresent the truth, to get what we want for a selfish purpose, then we're gonna find out it's always for a manipulative purpose. Every single time. You know, one girl told me that she would tell her husband that she had to have seventy five dollars a week for groceries. This has been several years ago, but she said, I can easily get by on fifty, but she said I take that extra twenty five and I tuck it away for things I want. Now, her husband may have thrown a fit when she needed extra, so you know he might have possibly have brought it on himself, but she found out that it was easier to manipulate than it was just to be above board and and tell him what she needed. The world would probably say that she was justified, but see, two wrongs don't make a right. Now, that husband... Like I said, he may have brought it on himself and he may have been living with the deception that he had created, but we're going to have to realize that no matter how justified we feel, if we're manipulating, it is coming out of the kingdom of darkness and we need to realize that God's way is above board. God's way is honest. The reason it's destructive is because it never allows us to really get down to the root problems in our lives and in our marriages that need to be dealt with. And a lot of times when we get what we need by manipulative means, well, we never really get something worked out that needs to be worked out in our lives. And it's a Band-Aid treatment. Now, when a person operates in this category of deceptive manipulation, no matter how subtle that manipulation is coming out of an attitude of, I want what I want when I want it. And when we start having that kind of an attitude, you know, we may not be consciously saying that, but when that attitude is there, then we're going to find out that we eventually are going to manipulate to get what we want. So that needs to be a good telltale sign. Okay, number eight, the last area of manipulation that I want us to define is that of trying to manipulate the gifts of God. I want you to look at Judges 17, verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite and he was staying there. Then the man departed from the city from Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he might find a place. And as he made his journey, he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah and I'm going to stay wherever I can find a place. Micah then said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year. I'll give you a suit of clothing and your maintenance. So the Levite went in and the Levite agreed to live with the man and the young man became to him like one of his sons. So Micah consecrated the Levite and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me seeing that I have a Levite As a priest. Okay, his thinking was God's going to have to bless me now. I've done it all right. I've made everything legal. I have a Levite for a priest. And I've seen that happen in modern day. I've seen different politicians who were involved in some shady deals and they'd call up Billy Graham as a friend and name drop and you know have him for lunch and you know maybe have their picture made together so they could get it in the news media. And it was like they were using him as their priest. When you would follow through and look at their voting record, there was no real change that was ever seen in their political dealings. See, they were manipulating spiritually to get whatever it was they thought that they wanted. Now, how many times Christians have fallen into the category of trying to manipulate God? I've prayed and I've fasted and I've said my confessions 15 times a day and God's got to answer me now. And so many times without realizing it, we fall into that you know, Lord, I've done this and I've done that and I've done something else and bless God, (laughs) you're going to come through. I deserve it. I've done it all just exactly right. I've gone by the letter of the law. Now, God wants us to be obedient. He wants us to do all these good things and he wants to do for us more than we want him to do for us, but he's not going to be manipulated. See, and there's a fine line in here and it all boils down to motives That's where we have to look. And we need to check out our motives to be sure that our obedience is an obedience of love. Not I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna force God over in a corner. Now, a lot of people serve God intellectually and it's head knowledge, it's rules and regulations. I've kept all these rules, I've done all these regulations and so now God's got to move. As we're obedient to God, he wants to move. It's not that we force him into a corner and he has to move. As we love him and our relationship becomes what it needs to be, he wants to move in our behalf. Now, there are some formulas in the Word of God, but it's the Holy Spirit who brings life to those formulas. Intellectualism causes us to try to approach God now with our head and anytime we start approaching God with our head, it becomes manipulative. I'm going to make a pretty dogmatic statement here, but I truly believe that it's the truth. Works righteousness is manipulation. Anytime we're into works righteousness, because works righteousness is not God's way. And when we get into works righteousness and we think that we're gaining God's approval or, you know, because of the works that we're doing, then we're over into the law. Anytime I try to do something in and of my self-effort, my flesh effort, to ensure my own righteousness or to prove my righteousness or to look righteous to the world, then that's manipulation on my part to try to get something from God or to look good or to look like I'm right in other people's eyes. And when I'm doing that by the arm of flesh, the motive is wrong and there's a manipulative means behind it. When I try to operate under the law in order to buy God's love or to buy his approval or to make God do for me, that's manipulation. See, God's moved by faith. He's moved by faith in his word and he's not moved by our flesh, what we've done through our fleshly means. And he does it because he loves us. Okay, I want you to look at Galatians 5, verse one. Galatians 5, verse one. God's wanting us to be obedient but it has to be out of a sincere motive of the heart to get into where God wants us to be. Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. We've been set free through Christ. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Okay, that's simply meaning if you're trying to keep the law to gain favor with God, to be good, if you're trying to keep the law just to be righteous, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. In other words, if we're trying to keep the law in order to be righteous, then we're obligated to the whole law. We've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Okay, God has one way to make us righteous. He has one way of blessing us, and it's through faith in Christ, through faith in His Word. And if I try to gain my righteousness or gain my approval by means other than God's way, then it's manipulation. Now, you've heard people say, well, I'm going to quit reading my Bible. I'm going to quit praying. I'm going to quit going to church. It's not working. You ever heard anybody say that? Hopefully. We haven't been the one to say it, but see, it's not obedience and that was manipulation. That was a maneuver to try to manipulate God. If we're reading our Bible and going to church and praying to try to move the hands of God, that isn't God's way. Anytime the gifts of God are used for a purpose other than that of just simply being a vessel through which God can advance the kingdom. Anytime that we're using the gifts for our own benefit, if the gifts are used to get attention for ourselves or prestige or maybe power, you know, to control another person or to receive admiration from other people or to receive acceptance. If they're used for anything else other than to be a channel for the kingdom to bless the people of God, then it's manipulation. And anytime we manipulate to any degree, then we're operating in the principles of the kingdom of darkness. And the sad part is it's contagious because like I said, manipulation breeds manipulation. Okay, I'm going to end by just giving you three observations that I've made about manipulation in general that I think will help. Number one observation, most manipulation is never brought totally out in the open. There's always going to be a slight air of underhandedness. It's never totally above board. Never quite honest you know, or forthright. Number two observation, it's short-sighted. Most of the time, someone who manipulates to get something done the way they want it done, they don't think it out clear to the end. They never stop to realize the full ramification of what will happen if they get what they're manipulating to get. They usually never take into consideration the repercussions that can come from that. Because see, manipulation is after immediate gratification. You know, even if we're trying to manipulate to get something someone to do something that they should be doing, it's still not going to have the results that we really want. And so most of the time a person who's manipulating, they never stop to think where that situation that they're creating is going to take them or what the total outcome is going to be. You know, it's kind of like the guy on the date who wants the girl to give him sexual favors. He never stops to consider what the repercussions will be if the girl does give in. He doesn't stop to consider the guilt that'll be there, the lack of respect that'll come. And I couldn't help but think about Amnon, and he hated her after, you know, he had violated her. He never stops to think about the fact that it's a sin against God, and sin brings death, or maybe an unwanted pregnancy. When we force a situation, the long-range outcome is never good, and manipulation is always a living for today. The number three observation is self-centered. It's hard for a manipulator to cooperate. It's hard for them to submit or to help the other person because they're always in fear that they're going to be manipulated, and so they get their way by pushing, and it's hard for them to cooperate. Now, they have a hard time ever laying down their will because they're used to getting their way right now. They never want to have to wait. And that's what manipulation does it demands its way, even though it might be subconscious. We might not be consciously realizing that's what we're doing. So, those three observations it's underhanded, it's short sighted, and it's selfish. And the saddest part, and you can mark this down, people who manipulate, when they do this as a lifestyle and they've gotten into the habit where it's a habit, they've robbed themselves of ever learning how to trust God because the manipulation the trust just won't go together. They never get the chance to realize that God can do a much better job than they can do by making it happen. So people who manipulate cheat themselves because in whatever area we manipulate, Whatever we manipulate to get, we're going to lose it in one way or another. It's never going to come out exactly like we would like for it to be because it's not God's highest. Well, Father, I thank you that you've given us answers in the word of God to keep us from going down a wrong pathway. I thank you for the examples you've given us in the word to just let us see the destruction that comes and the sadness that comes from the ones who have done things other than your way. Lord, help us to desire with all of our hearts to be able to become more and more like Jesus, to come more and more like your word would have us to be. We thank you, Father, that not only does your word give us answers, but, Father, I thank you that by your Holy Spirit that you'll guide us and lead us into that truth. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Please share this teaching with anyone you think it would minister to. If you would like to listen to more in-depth teachings, please sign up for our Psalm 91 family at PeggyJoyceRuth.org.